God created man and woman to live in marriage under the authority and guidance of his scripture. But men and women can be very, very different. There was a group of first grade girls that were at a slumber party, and they came up with reasons why girls were better than boys. First off, girls chew with their mouth closed. Girls don't pick their noses. Girls go to the bathroom politely. Girls don't smell as bad. Girls are more smarter. And uh, when we think about girls, uh, they have more manners. But then an anonymous guy, a little bit older, wrote some reasons why men are better than women. And this is what he wrote. Phone conversations are over in 30 seconds. A five-day vacation requires only one suitcase. Actually, if a one-day vacation only required one suitcase, uh, that'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? If someone forgets to invite you to something, he can still be your friend. Gray hairs and wrinkles add character. And then the one I like the most, you're not expected to know the names of more than six colors. So uh, I thought that was a really good one. I'm like the six-pack of crayons guy where Julie is like the 64, you know. Who knows what color periwinkle is? I mean, who knows that kind of stuff? As, as we think about men and women, God made us different and God made us uniquely. And as he, as he formed us, and we're going to look at the foundations of, of that today, his desire was for man and woman to live in marriage, if God so calls you to be married, under the authority and guidance and direction of Scripture. Over the next couple of, of weeks, we're going to, to look at this week and next week, the foundations of marriage. And then uh, we're going to jump back into First Peter because First Peter chapter 3 has words of marriage. And so what we're doing is kind of stepping back a little bit. First Peter 3 is going to bring us that guidance that we need as we go through First Peter. But remember, Peter's writing to a primarily Jewish audience who would know and understand what the Scripture says. And so today we're going to kind of jump back all the way to the book of Genesis and we're going to think about the foundations of marriage. So if you have your Bibles, take your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Keep your Bible open. We're going to slide over into Genesis 1 a little bit, and we'll be in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to pick up and read verse number 18, and then skip down to verse number 21. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 18. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now slide down to verse number 21. And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And with that, 
Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, the truth of your word and drive home the essential foundations that we need to know to form our, our worldview and to form our view on marriage. And God, would you just speak today and, and bring something uh, unique to every person that's here today. Whether they're married or not, God, I pray that you would give them nuggets of truth that they could hold on to. In Jesus' name, amen. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we find the story of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, we kind of get the 30,000-foot view of the creation of man in verses 26 and following. And then the Lord follows up in Genesis chapter 2, and he goes into more detail and more specifics. But as you think about Genesis chapter 1 and 2 in the Bible, they are to form our biblical, spiritual, moral foundations for life. As we think about everything in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it helps us to see who God is and what God has done in the work of creation and how he has set the bar, the standard. He has shown us exactly what his desire and passion for man and for woman is. As we think about Genesis chapter 1, we have to come to grips with some of the cultural issues that are going on in our world. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, see, the Bible clearly shows us the preciousness of life. We, we have to grasp the preciousness of life. As we come to Genesis chapter 1 in those opening verses and we see how God in, in the, 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 the moment of creating those six days, he, he builds and builds and builds up to that point where he makes man uniquely. And everything up to the creation of man is, is that foundation of leading up to his most desired and greatest creation, the creation of humanity, us. So we see the preciousness of life. Then we also see, as you look in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, we find that God made them male and female. God made two distinct sexes. They are male and female. Then we also see that God created marriage and family. We find all of this together wrapped up in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And it forms the foundation of our life. So let's look at that foundation scripturally now. Because Genesis 1 and 2, listen, should form the foundation of our mindset and our heart set as we look at the culture around us. It doesn't make any difference uh, what a culture says or what a political party says. The Bible shows us that life is precious, that God created male and female, that marriage was created between a man and a woman, and that God created the family. So we find all of that coming into being. So let's now step back and think about marriage itself. God created marriage. God created marriage. That's the passage that we just read in verse number 18. He tells Adam that he is going to make a helper that is comparable to him. It's not good for him to be alone. But the question is, is how did Adam get there to begin with? So look back in, with me in Genesis chapter 1, and we find that God created man. Genesis chapter 1, pick up with me in verse number 26. Now, you remember in the, in the creation accounts, 
In the creation accounts, it says, you know, and God said, let there, and God said, let this, and God said, let this. But notice the transition that takes place and the personal pronouns that are used in the creation of man in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. Notice, this is different. Then God said, let us there we see the plurality of God. Let us, we see the unity and plurality and we see the majesty of God. Let us. Now everything else he'd said, and let there be, and let this happen, and let this come on, and let this go, and let this be created. Now he says in a personal pronoun, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. The creation of man was unique amid all of God's creation. You remember that God said, let there be light, and there was light. God made the sky, and the sky was formed. God then made dry land, and then he began to put plants on them. Then God made the sun, the moon, and the stars, and then God begins to fill the earth on days five and six, and then comes to the pinnacle of creation and says, let us make man in our image. Everything leading up to that point in creation now is focused on his greatest creation, the creation of man, and he makes man differently. He gives man a sense of self-consciousness. He gives man a sense of other consciousness. But most of all, he gives us the opportunity to have a relationship with him. We are born with a God consciousness. And we now, as uh, those that were created in his image, have the opportunity to share in a personal relationship with him. God created man. And he created him uniquely. Now notice down with me in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7, because he gets more to the specifics. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God breathed into his life. And God made him not just a physical being, but a spiritual being that has the capacity to connect with him. God created man. But notice back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 27, God also created the woman. Notice verse number 27 of Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Then we get the specifics in verse number 18 of chapter 2. The Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper comparable to him. So he creates the woman to be a helper, to be a complement, to be a partner. Don't be afraid of this word helper, ladies. The word helper that is used here is the same uh, foundational word that we find in Psalm 46, where it says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in our time of need. 
God is a helper, and God created the woman to come alongside and to be a complement and to be a partner. Both created in the image of God, both holding a, a great value as they see the image bearing of God within them, and both in Genesis chapter 3 verses 26 and through 28 shows us that both can experience the honor of salvation. So God creates man and woman. He puts Adam to sleep. He gives him some holy anesthesia. And he takes a rib out of Adam's side and he forms the woman. Man is made of of dust, dirt. And the woman he creates from the side of man. And then it tells us that God brought the woman to the man. God created marriage. God created marriage. One man, one woman, marriage. Now, as, as we think about this, no, notice with me that how, how essential this is. The Lord God, in verse number 21, caused this deep sleep to fall. He takes one of his ribs, and then verse 22, then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to Man. God created man and woman and marriage. But please understand in our culture and in our society today that God created man and God created woman. Then he created marriage. As we think about the genetic structure of humanity, we know that we have 23 pairs of chromosomes One of those chromosomes specifically and succinctly sets whether you are going to be a male or a female. If this is an XY chromosome, you are a male. If it is an XX chromosome, you are a female. The Lord says that that out of the woman he created man. The man, word for man is the word ish. And the word for woman is the word ish-ah. He created man and woman. Unique in their identity. And listen, of the 30 trillion cells in your body, every one of those cells cries out, I am either a male, X, Y, or a female, X, X. Now, there's a lot of gender confusion in our world today. So we have to come, and as a church, we have to look and say, what is going on in the world around us? What is going on in this culture around us? So we know that God created male and female, and that all of the cells in your body are going to scream out, I am a male or I am a female. The Southern Baptist Convention in 2014 dealt with the issue of gender identity in a resolution in Columbus, Ohio. Our family was there. And this is what they shared, resolved, that the messengers of the Southern Baptist Convention meeting in Baltimore, Maryland, or it's in Baltimore, sorry, uh, we were there, June 10th through 11, 2014. Listen, affirm goods de- good, God's good design that gender identity is determined by biological sex and not one's self-perception, a perception which is often influenced by fallen human nature in ways contrary to God's design. 
and be it further that we resolve that we grieve the reality of human fallenness which can result in such biological manifestations as intersexuality or psychological manifestations. So he's de- they're dealing with two things. First off, there can, in our fallen world, be uh, birth challenges that, that kind of mess up chromosomes, okay? There are genetic challenges. That is a very small case. There are, for most people, psychological manifestations as gender identity confusion but we point them to the hope of redemption of our bodies in Christ. Be it further resolved that we extend love and compassion to those whose sexual self-understanding is shaped by distressing conflict between their biological sex and their gender identity. And then he goes on to say that, they go on to say that all people bearing the image of God are valuable and we need to share the love of Jesus with them. What they're saying is this, and what we have to understand is this that your maleness or femaleness cries out through your genetics and your gender role follows your biological identity, not your self-perception, which can be deceived in a fallen world. Okay? That's the issue. All right? So why are people struggling that? Because it's the sinful nature of humanity. So we find that God created man and woman. And let me just, without getting too graphic in here, let me just tell you, you can change physical parts. You cannot change 30 trillion cells in your body, each with the DNA and the chromosomes that cry out, you are a male or you are a female. You can't change that. So we understand that our gender Identity is wrapped up in our biblical creation of male and female. This is foundational in our society. We have to, as believers, be able to understand this. So God creates male, he creates female, then he creates marriage. Now notice with me what happens in, in, in verse, uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 23. God brings the woman to the man, verse 22, And Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So Adam, in verses 19 through 20, which we didn't read in Genesis chapter 2, was told to name all of the animals, okay? There's not a helper comparable or suitable for him. So God then gives Adam a divine object lesson and allows Adam to name all of the animals, okay? There have been many preacher jokes about God waiting to make Eve after Adam named all the animals because she would have probably second-guessed half of his names. So anyway, it it saved a lot of time, all right? I don't know if that's true or not. But when you're the only opinion, then it does go quicker. So, you know, here's elephants and giraffes and raccoons and sparrows, and they're all marching by, and they're all in pairs, and Adam doesn't have a pair. There's not a mate for him. So God gives him a divine object lesson and says, look, there's bears over here, and there's rhinoceros over here, and all of them have pairs, but you don't have a pair. He's driving home the need of man, And then God brings the woman to the man. I think this is essential. 
So that in marriage, that, that God is in the, the aspect of through the Spirit leading us to that right person to marry. For Adam, there weren't a lot of choices. But anyway, God brings Eve to Adam. And then notice, Adam breaks out in the first recorded words of humanity in Scripture. He breaks out in poetry. He breaks out in a song. Now, I thought, now, there's probably some great love poems that I could read this morning that uh, would, would help to gather that. And I looked at Lord Byron had something on love that was short and sweet and, and nice. And then there's Elizabeth Barrett Browning, uh, How Do I Love Thee? Let Me Count the Ways, you know, all this beautiful poetry. But Ken Burns is doing a special on country music right now. So I thought, if we're going to hear from somebody, let's hear from the hillbilly Shakespeare, Hank Williams, all right? So we find him on day six as he's walking, as he's naming all the animals singing, I'm so lonesome I could cry, all right? Then God brings the woman to the man and he says, hey, hey, good looking. What you got cooking? How's about cooking something up for me or with me? All right, that, that's, that's the picture there. I mean, he breaks out in a sense of, of poetry here in music. And think about through the centuries. How many songs have there been about love that have been penned in poems and musical lyrics? It all goes back to Adam right here. He's the original poet, and he didn't know it. So, I mean, it's just a beautiful picture here. Now, I hope that most of us don't have to live the rest of Hank Williams' songs, except I Saw the Light, because there's not that many other ones. Most of them are going to move downhill from there. But uh, I, I pray that we'll understand that, that God created the male and the female. He brought them together, and Adam is like, whoa, this is awesome. And that's the creation of marriage right there. But God not only gives us the creation of marriage and the, 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 the look at that, but he gives us the prescription of marriage, the guidance for how this marriage is supposed to work from here on out. See, it would be really sweet if we could just look at, at, at verse number 23 and that our whole married life would just be filled with love and poetry. But it just don't happen that way. It just don't happen. As I was uh, just visiting before church, you know, I've had several of you come and say, you know, I've been married uh, for 67 years. I've been married for over 60 years. And, uh, you know, you see all, all of this. And, and there's good times and there are bad times. There are challenges that come. And it's not all chocolate and poetry and good country music. It's just not. Matter of fact, if you really looked across the landscape of, of, of music, especially somebody like Hank Williams, uh, a lot of it deals with breakup and sorrow and sadness because there are challenges that come. But God gives us the prescription for this to work. 
Okay? So let's think about this prescription that God gives for, for marriage to, to work. As he prescribes these keys, notice verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God prescribes the keys to marriage. First off, he, he gives that picture that there needs to be loyalty. They are to leave father and mother. At the moment of marriage, the most important earthly relationship in your life from that moment on is with your spouse. They leave father and mother. Now, mom and dads are important. Siblings are important. And your children are important. But can I tell you, your highest loyalty is to be to your spouse. That's the way scripture aligns it. That, that all, all of these are important. I've shared with you several years ago. Julie was talking one Sunday after church uh, when we were in Georgia. And I'm in the van with the boys. And unfortunately, the boys have uh, received my genetic disposition of impatience. I think it's just really my sin nature, but anyway, we'll just, we'll just say it's genetic just to let me off the hook a little bit. Actually, it's sin, all right? Not filled with the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace. That fourth one, long-suffering, or patience. Boy, that's a hard one. So she was talking after church with somebody, and, you know, we're hungry. The boys are small, and it's like they come up with this great idea. Dad, just leave her. which gave me a great opportunity to say, boys, let me just tell you something about life. First off, you guys are short timers around here. Luke's going to get married on December the 14th. He's going to be the first one to, to, to fly away and uh, anyway. And then after that, we're expecting some more to leave the nest sometime. But I, I told him, you know, this was 15 years ago. I said, boys, you all are short timers here. If I drive off on her right now, I guarantee you, she will never, ever forget this moment. And I've got to live with her forever. So no, we're not going to leave. We are going to wait. Now, we can turn on music, we can turn on a DVD, we can do something, or you can just hold your belly and let it growl for a few more minutes, but we're not leaving. There's loyalty that says, my wife is the most important person in my, wife, uh, in my life outside of my relationship with God. He says, therefore, let a man leave his father and mother and be joined. There's that word joined there. It's the word uh, often in the old King James used, cleave. It means to, to hold on to uh, a sword. So, so we see that picture of uh, leaving and being joined, there's a picture of unity. There's unity. The, the word picture, again, is a, a man, a soldier, holding onto his sword in the midst of battle. Let him be joined. Let him hold on for everything that he has. Let there be unity. Leave father and mother. Be joined. Be one. You're no longer two separate people, they say, they say at the wedding. You're now together a unity. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we agree on everything. That, that doesn't mean that, that everything in life is smooth. I think somebody wrote into Ann Landers and, 
and talking about the challenges of marriage, and she said something along these lines. You know, every, uh, in every couple, there seems like when they're at a party, there's one who's always wanting to leave and one that's wanting to stay. Have you found that in your life? That you married someone different than you? I like to go to bed early and get up early. And something about that plimale gene in my wife, man, after about 10 or 11 o'clock at night, there are nights she just kicks in. And uh, you might get an email from her at 1.30 in the morning. Just different. But staying united. And allowing the challenges of life not to come between us, but to drive us closer together. There's loyalty. There's unity. And then it goes on to say, let him be joined together with his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And that's a picture of intimacy. Intimacy. Of oneness. I, I, I use the word of, of weaving. There, there is the aspect of physical intimacy that he's talking about at this point. And if you read in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, he's going to go down further and, and talk about uh, Adam and Eve being fruitful and multiplying. And, and there is this aspect, and we'll talk some more about this over the coming weeks, there is this aspect that there is, is this intimacy that we come to that is exclusive in the realm of marriage. We, we look at this alone so that in Hebrews chapter three, 13, in verse number 4, the, the Lord would say that the marriage bed is undefiled, but God is going to judge adulterers and fornicators. So we get this picture that, that, uh, that we see there is loyalty and unity and intimacy. This unity is not only just in the physical aspect of, of our life, but can I just tell you and as grandparents and parents and and those who are are uh, looking at this landscape of marriage and looking all around us this intimacy needs not only be physical but it needs to be spiritual and emotional that the greatest foundation of your life is going to be your spiritual foundation it it, it has to be there you have to spiritually be on the same page and have the same commitments and be moving in the same direction. That's why I think in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14, it tells us that, that we need to be careful not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You need to be moving in the same direction spiritually. And listen, it's very dangerous for a believer who's on fire and passionate for the Lord to marry someone who is half-hearted and cold to spiritual things, even if they made a decision back way yonder and were baptized at Grandpa's church. It's, it, it's so easy. And we see this through the Old Testament, that when there are negative influence, it seems like spiritually you can get pulled away so quickly. So that intimacy needs to be spiritual as well. Then he... He says that they are to be joined together. They are to be one flesh. Then he says in verse 25 that they were both naked and not ashamed. There has to be an element of transparency in marriage. Transparency. Now, for Adam and Eve, there was no sin. Therefore, there was no shame. Okay? Like a little baby. When you change the diaper of a baby and they don't understand that they need to have clothes on yet, they're fine. I mean, they kick their legs and 
uh, everything else. Life's great. You're changing them. But as they get a little bit older, they don't want you walking them to the bathroom and being there right there holding their hand anymore. They want to go by themselves. There's this picture of, of transparency that Adam and Eve were both there open and transparent with each other. Now, in our sinful world, we have to understand that there are a lot of things that we can hide from each other in marriage. Matter of fact, in Genesis 3, when they sin, remember what happens? Eve takes of the fruit first and then gives it to Adam. And what does Adam do? He blames it on the woman. What does the woman do? She blames it on the serpent. There's this aspect in our life of, of we always have someone else to blame. But here the picture is transparency and we have to be real. That we need to share with each other our, our concerns and our hearts. And the first person when there's a joy in our life to share with is going to be our spouse. And the first person when there's a struggle in our life, we're going to go to our spouse. Because of loyalty and unity and this heart of transparency. And it's essential. So that I'll just tell you, my wife, any, any day she wants to look on my Facebook, any day she wants to look at my emails, any day she wants to take my phone and look at texts or anything else that are sent... There's anything. She has access to it all. She has the controller on the TV that, that has the, the children locks on it so that, that uh, there's nothing that, that is inappropriate that can go on the, on the TV. She has control of that. We have to remain in this relationship of transparency. I wrote someone recently, it, there was an event that took place, and there was a lady that worked really hard and did a lot of great work to, to pull it off. And so I wrote her to thank her. But you know what I did? I CC'd her boss on it, who was a man. Why? For my protection and for her protection. To, to make sure that everybody here understands and is up front. And I told Julie the same, that, that everybody is, is, is clear here. We're up front. We're honest. We're not, we're not, we don't, there's, no, there's no ulterior motive here. We're being honest. Transparency. Then there's the aspect of permanency. We're going to deal with this some more next week. But permanency, he creates one man, one woman, puts them together in this relationship till death do them part. That's, that's the, the picture. And that's the challenge. And listen, as believers, the glory of God and the witness of Christ in our life, as Ephesians 5, 22 and following, shows us that our life and our marriage is important. That people are looking at us to see if, our life is any different, if our marriage is any different, if Jesus really is making a difference there, and I pray that he is. And with that, let's take a moment and pray together. I've preached mainly to just a foundational aspect of marriage, but can I tell you, God created you with the ability to have a personal relationship with him. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. We've all messed up. None of us are perfect. And can I tell you, none of our marriages are perfect. But the Bible says that Jesus lived a perfect life and he died on the cross for our sin and he rose again from the dead and now has a way that you can personally come to a relationship with God through Christ. If you don't know Jesus today, then today you need to experience the first transformation that spiritual transformation that only Jesus can bring. You can be forgiven of sin. God can come and live in your life and you can have a relationship with him. Just a moment, we're going to, to pray and then sing. And if God's speaking to you, Pastor Jerry and I will be here at the front. And if you need, just need to pray, 
or if you want to talk with one of us or pray with one of us, we're just going to open that time up. Jesus, uh, thank you for the precious gift that you've given us. God, we, we praise and honor and exalt you, how you've made us uniquely. You've given us uh, the gift of marriage, the gift of family. And Lord, may we as believers live that out in such a way that the world can see that when you're in a marriage, you can transform. In your name we pray.